Hello, good evening. I'm Dave Moore and welcome to this half-hour Manx Radio special. Drew Boyd's a Manxman who left the Isle of Man in the 1990s to live and work in St. Petersburg in Russia, eventually settling in Kiev in Ukraine, where for the past 15 years he's been employed as a schoolteacher. Following the recent invasion, he's had to leave his wife and her children behind as they fled to safety to the west of the country. Drew is currently living in Onken. He came to Manx Radio earlier this week to talk about the conflict and I began by asking him when did he notice things were really becoming serious. These satellite photographs and these warnings from the American government and uh, then the embassy personnel started moving out. First of all, it was their families, then non-key workers and people writing to me saying, are you staying? I don't know any Ukrainians who left. I know a lot. Of, I know, for example, old colleagues from the British Council left. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of very integrated into Ukrainian society. I only really have one non-Ukrainian friend. So everyone was telling me, <laughs> ah, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's yeah. going to happen. And then when it did? Well, what happened with me was, uh, unfortunately, my father died on a Monday. Um, and so I left on the Wednesday. I came back to the island. And, this, and the Russians had just... Moved in or just no. about to move so in? No, I, so I, I left on a Wednesday, I think it was 23rd of February, mm. and the Russians launched their, this massive assault on the 24th. The, immediately all the airspace was closed, and then I was back on the island, you know, with my mum and my sister, my sister trying to organise my father's funeral, for example. And meanwhile, my wife and her two children uh, were sleeping in the bathroom in their house with missiles flying overhead. Really? I don't know how you would uh, describe how you would feel about something like that, not only losing your father, but also the fact that your wife and her kids are at threat. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm still not sure. <laughs> you know, at the moment, you just, well, I mean, you just live day by day, you know. Mm. Um, so what I did, I, I went back to Ukraine or... Well, first thing, my, my wife spent, uh, I think, two nights or three nights uh, listening to the bombs and eventually just made the decision to try and drive west, which at the time mm. um, was quite a, you know, it was a difficult decision because the roads were blocked. Uh, yeah. It took, was taking so long to get out and there was very, there were huge queues at gas stations because as I say, People did not expect yeah. it. People well, had been warned. Well, this is why I want to ask you: Is it, why did your wife and her kids not come with you when you came back? When you found well, we were trying to organise a visa. Now, what they tell you is that visas for Ukrainians are free, but that's free from the British government. Um, we went online and tried to do a visa, but of course, it's all been outsourced. It's in an agency, and the agency charges you a free a fee. Yeah. Uh, then uh, we looked. Uh, when the next available appointment would be, and it was in mid-March. <laughs> the thing is that uh, not many Ukrainians uh, or British people with Ukrainian family, people don't have visas because of COVID. Everyone's left their visas mm -hmm. just, you know, people, mm -hmm. there's been no reason, you know, to the travel, Isle of Man, yeah. you know, coming to the Isle of Man was difficult. You know, I was trapped in Ukraine for two years uh, during the COVID crisis. What my wife did, she drove down to the end of, you know, she got a car off a friend, off her ex-husband, actually, and then waited in a, a huge queue for 
petrol for for hours and hours. I had a Google Earth tracker on her so I could see where she was. Now, at that time, it was the first few days of the invasion, and the Russians had dropped a lot of paratroopers and, and small armoured cars into an airport north of Kiev. And so these were moving into Kiev because the city wasn't ready at that point. And so I was looking online at where I lived in northern Kiev, and there are small tanks coming into the city. And my wife is in a petrol station in central Kiev, near the parliament where these tanks are headed. Now, what happened was that the Ukrainian government had already given out, I think, 25,000 Kalashnikovs to locals, and they just obliterated this small uh, group of special forces in these uh, tanks. Uh, my wife, she waited, got petrol, and what she did was she filled up the car, and she also had two uh, cooler bottles, uh, each one 20 litres, filled those full of petrol, and then basically drove this car in directly south of Ukraine uh, just to get away from the Russian forces. In Any the idea north. where she was going or was it just to yeah, get away? Yeah, so yeah. she has families in the far, okay. uh, family in the far west. of That's where she's mm-hmm. from. But she drove directly south because the road west was just blocked. And then she spent uh, three days to drive across uh, from the very center of Ukraine to the very, very far western border. I mean, it's difficult for people to understand, you know, first thing, how big Ukraine is, and mm. secondly, how bad the roads can be, you know, <laughs> there. Um, but again, how old are her children? Well, her, her, the thing is, her son's of military age, okay. uh, and her daughters will be 13 uh, in March. Okay, so it's yeah. still terrifying. Yeah, I mean... Her son's a man, but, uh, you know, uh, so he can't leave the country, so she won't yeah. leave the country. Oh, right. Okay, uh, fair enough. Because okay. Uh, men from 18 to 60 are not allowed to leave Ukraine okay. at, at the moment. So, okay, so we'll just go back a little bit. So you'd come back because of the awful news with your father. And then when did you go back and how did you try to get back to Ukraine? So what I did was I just uh, flew to Manchester, then got a plane to Budapest. It was a guy I knew. I'd met him about three or four times uh, just watching football mm-hmm. years ago when he worked in Kiev. He's from Manchester. He was living near Budapest, and he said, I'll give you a lift to the border if you want. He gave me a lift to the border. That was the only way you could get into Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, I got to the border. There's huge queues of people trying to get out, and the border that I tried to get in, there was no pedestrian crossing. There were Ukrainian men trying to stop cars to ask people if they could let them in because Mm. they were going back to volunteer to join up to to fight. And then me (laughs) saying, excuse me, can I get in your car and cross the border? So I crossed the border. Uh, That took a while, to be honest. My wife's brother picked me up. I stayed. At, I was very well fed at his place, yeah. and then I was taken to her cousin's. This is down in the south again, or no? This no, is in the far west of far, Ukraine, okay. and uh, and then um, I stayed. I spent the next uh, eight days, probably, uh, at her cousin's place. Now, my wife, she owns a house. That I mean, it's her kind of mm. that whole area. She's full of her relatives, so. Um, she owns a house. She currently has 25 refugees in it, in, not including children, six cats and a dog. She's, I'm guessing it's not a house designed to 
No, no. But the thing about Ukrainian houses and flats is they're very used to kind of family members staying mm. over. So they generally have like fold out beds okay. and, and yeah, sofas. And But she actually bought some mattresses, put some heating in because it was only really a summer house. And um, she's sleeping at her uh, aunt's place. When I was there, I was in the cellar in her uh, cousin's place in, in the same yeah. town just walking distance mm-hmm. away from each other reasonably safe yeah western ukraine is reasonably safe although the russians two days ago did attack some airports there they were kind of more let's say targeted attacks at, yeah. at airports rather than indiscriminately shelling uh, apartment blocks yeah. as they have been in places like kharkiv We'll come back to Ukraine in a moment. So, so mm-hmm. you spent eight days there, and then you came back for your father's funeral. Yes. <laughs> okay. That was last week. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That was last week. Okay. So, and that's yeah. why you're back on the island. Now, are you trying to get back to Ukraine, or well, what's your position at the moment? My position is I've lost my job, I've lost my flat, I've lost my stuff. And, you know, I work, I can, I can do some work online. So, basically, I don't have much money. I need to find Do you some want to work. go back? I, I'm desperate to go back to Ukraine. It's it's the place I, I realize now that it is the place I call home. It's mm. the place I feel at home. Uh, it might sound strange, but it, I, I've lived there for 17 years. I like it. With work from 2005 to about 2017, I used to do speaking exams in, in, in Kiev like every second week, but I would also go to Kharkiv, Donetsk, Dnipro, I'd go to Crimea, Odessa, Lviv. Those are places I visited multiple, Mm. multiple times. I know Ukraine. I like the way Ukrainians are. But I also like the dynamism, the way Ukrainians are trying to change their society. I mean, people in this part of the world often have the idea that Ukraine is some kind of new country Mm. that appeared 30 years ago. But actually, you know, Kiev, if you think of Kiev and Rus, it's a thousand years old or more mm-hmm. than a thousand years old. There was Kiev was there before Moscow, before St. Petersburg. It's an endlessly fascinating place. Ukrainians are amazing people. It takes a while to get to know them, but they are just incredible people. I mean, you saw what happened in 2014 and what's happening mm-hmm. now. I mean, the personal bravery of people who will go out on, in Russian-occupied uh, cities and demonstrate against tanks and people with guns and that's a dangerous thing to do but they're prepared to do it because ukrainians want their own country they have no imperial ambitions no mm. ambition they don't want parts of anyone else's country they just want to live and they want to be they're desperate to be part of europe uh, and over the last eight years you know britain decided it didn't want to be part of Europe. Right. But you, Ukraine is very focused on we want European values, mm. we want transparent legal system, so we want a parliamentary system, and watching them trying to build their country. 20 years ago in the Russian-speaking world, you would have thought of the pipe dreams, you know, like building pedestrian bridges and, uh, and cycle paths, all the cafes they have now that everyone's riding around in the summer. So it's on, an emerging nation. Yeah, everyone's riding around in, summer, in the summer on those mm. electric scooters. They have a lot of tourism from uh, the Middle East. So you see, um, for example, women in hijabs riding around mm. on electric scooters in the summer. And uh-huh. there's a lot of hipsters and things okay. there. 
Um, the, um, it's quite a warm country. I mean, it has a couple of cold months in the winter, but basically from mid-April to yeah. the middle of October, it's hot. It's warmer than here, isn't it's it? It's a lot so, warmer yeah, than here. Yeah. And they have that kind of European outdoor cafe culture style. Are you in touch with friends and colleagues back in Kiev? I regard myself as a refugee. I've lost my home. I mean, I'm a very privileged refugee. I'm coming back to the Isle of Man to live in Onken, so I don't have any misconceptions there. But I live a refugee lifestyle, as in the first thing I do in the morning is I open my phone and I see where the Russians have bombed. Then I think, who do I know there? And I write to them, are you okay? Then, I mean, as as most people in Ukraine, you monitor these things called telegram channels on the telegram social network. It's very popular there. And there's just endless raw footage of the war, burned out trucks with bodies in and everyone's watching them. And it's it's quite strange when you see a burnt out convoy of Russian trucks and tanks full of conscripts who basically don't know why they're in Ukraine and you are happy to see that because they are, you know, on our Ukrainian land. And what about your friends and colleagues? You must be speaking with them directly. Yeah, I, I mean, speak, they're telling uh, ev- you. Every, you know? every day I write to different people. I have my also my students. I mean, I have a lot of students. I mean, we're not having lessons at the mm. moment, but uh, we're just in constant contact. Where are you? Are you safe? How's your family? Every day. The thing is that I get a lot of um, people writing to me from the Isle of Man or from Britain. How are you doing? What's gone on in Ukraine? I kind of don't answer those questions because I just don't have the time because every time I see there's a... Every time I see there's been a... A rocket attack on Severodonetsk. I write to my student Tanya, how are you? She's been in a bomb shelter for 19 days. Now her parents got her out. Her parents are still there and they sent her to her grandmother's friend in a city in the western Ukraine. She arrived there yesterday and was shelled <laughs> immediately. Oh, not shelled. There was a rocket attack. Mm. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, and she said she cried all the way there and she's missing her parents. And, so, I mean, your so, friends and colleagues that I mentioned, uh, yeah. are, are they moving out of the city? Are they are they bunkering down? What's... Well, there's basically three groups of people, is how I'd see it, is you have people with friends and connections abroad. Now, they've, they're leaving or have left already. So that's like two million people. Then you have the kind of people who are at my wife's place who have nowhere to go abroad or are waiting to go back to Kiev or to to eastern Ukraine. And they're just waiting. They think they're going to go back. And then you have in cities like Kharkov and, and Kiev where you have, you know, the men are staying because men can't leave. But also you have all the old people. They can't travel very well. So, for example... I have a good friend, Victoria, and in her her village, it was occupied by the Russians. A lot of old people were shot by these Russians. The Ukrainians retook the town and evacuated the people, but her grandmother refused to leave. Now, So she stayed in the cottage, and then the Russians retook the city, and they haven't heard from her since, you know, so... Mm. And that's that that kind of story would be endlessly repeated yeah. across kind of northern, southern, and very and eastern Ukraine. Your friends and colleagues, people that you've worked with, it's a daft question. 
how has their life changed? I mean, obviously it's changed, but how has okay. it changed? Okay, so when I crossed back uh, to come back to the island this time, I I got a car with two women and um, two two-year-old kids. Now, the woman who's driving, um, one month ago, she was on holiday in Rio de Janeiro and Miami. She owned a very successful kindergarten in uh, Kiev, in southern Kiev, and her husband was in business. Then the war started. She ended up in my wife's cousin's house sleeping in, above the garage uh, with her kids and then drove to friends in Germany. She gave me a lift, but so, you know, one month ago she was holidaying in Rio de Janeiro and now she's a refugee in Germany with no source of income. Wow. And her husband yeah. is, has a, you know, we, we Zoomed, when we were sitting, we waited nine hours to cross the border, so Zoomed her husband and he's in a trench with a Kalashnikov, like waving his Kalashnikov yeah. at the kids, you know. Oh, well. um, let's talk about the Isle of Man because obviously someone, mm -hmm. as someone who knows the Isle of Man and Russia and Ukraine, what do you think of the Isle of Man's response? Well, it's, I think people are trying to do the right thing, but I don't think people here understand the role that the island has played in what's happened in Eastern Europe since the 90s. Um, an example was that um, in 2014, when Yanukovych left power, the, the day before he left, I think 70 people were shot dead indiscriminately in the center of, of Kiev. Um, he left, fled to Moscow with several, well, they say up to 50 to $70 billion that he'd stolen from the Ukrainian national budget. And three months later, his planes were registered on the island. Nothing happened. Now, all the oligarchs or, or multiple oligarchs have strong connections with the Isle of Man. Uh, Alexei Navalny's final full video report into corruption detailed a the the transfer of ownership of a of a palatial fishing complex in northern Russia from Alicia Usmanov, the now sanctioned oligarch, to Dmitry Medvedev, the former um, the for, uh, the former president and prime minister of Russia. He's also the head of Russia's largest p political party. We should point out Navalny is Putin's biggest uh, opponent. Yeah, and he's. You know, after releasing this video, he got chemical thrown in his face. Then a few months later, he was poisoned mm. with Novichok, okay. and now he's mm. in a Siberian prison. Um, you know, the Isle of Man has got strong connections with the oligarchs. The Isle of Man ha bears some response, in my opinion, the Isle of Man bears some responsibility for what's happened. Uh, it does not have clean hands. It's... I'm not talking about individual Manx people here. I'm talking about the, the, the way the Manx economy works. Mm. Ukrainians, have, for the last eight years at least, have been driving to make their economy more and more transparent so that to, to try to end the corruption. And the Isle of Man has been on the opposite team. Has. The Isle has been on the opposite mm. team, yeah? The Isle of Man... As I, you know, used to, I mean, I've had students who said, oh, you're going home for Christmas. I say hello to our money, you know, <laughs> uh, I think that. And then you have 
things like you know the the, the yacht that was in Douglas Bay and the mm-hmm. huge Ferrari. But the government about would how- say the government would now say that yeah. they are taking steps, and you know, I mean, okay, it may be too little, too late, perhaps. Yeah. But in terms of they are actually doing something about it now. Are they actually doing something about it now, or are they saying they're going to do something oh, about it? That's two different yeah, things. Yeah, with terms of the shipping and the air registers and uh, and what have you. So, you know, well, that horse has bolted. I mean, they've encouraged this, and it's Ukrainians are paying the price for, in in some ways, what the Manx economy is based on. So, what should the island be doing? Well, it's difficult. I, I'm not an economist. I don't know. But the I think what if what they say if they follow through on what they say, great. But it, you know, uh, people often ask me, "Oh, is the where do you come from? Where do you come from?" And I say, "Oh, it's an ancient mm. Celtic nation." Blah blah blah. And then they figure it out and they go, oh, "It's offshore." Huh? You know, offshore is one of the words from English that's entered the Russian language mm. in the last twenty years. So. You know, a lot of tax lawyers and people like that know about the islands. Um, it has a lot of connections, and the and the also the aircraft register. One of the people who's allegedly one of Putin's closest advisors, which is Yevgeny Prigozhin, he runs a, a paramilitary group called the Wagner Group, and their that pl- the plane that they were ferrying mercenaries around in that was registered on the, on the island, mm. man. You know, it doesn't make me proud to be Manx, that's for sure. Yeah, okay. I think that they would argue that they are doing something about it at the moment and maybe there's, you know, there's still work to be done, perhaps, on behalf of the Isle of Man. I, whether there's work to be Other places seem to get by without having to rely on stolen billions. I mean, you're t- if... I mean, you can tell me platitudes and things like that, but I'm sure you'd have a different opinion if you'd seen the inside of a Ukrainian or a Russian hospital or a Ukrainian or a Russian school, or you've seen so many babushkas um, standing outside in the cold, you know, because their state pension isn't enough. And the island, you know, where is that money? That money's been here. Yeah. Okay. I must point out these are your views and not the views of Manx Radio. What about the situation right now in the Ukraine? What can we as people in the Isle of Man, can we do to help those people you've left behind? Okay, you know, there seems to be real enthusiasm to try and help Ukraine, and I think that's fantastic. Now, I think the best thing you can do is send money. Ukrainians don't need foreign volunteers there who, for example, don't know Russian or don't know Mm. Ukrainian. What you need to do is find, you know, for example, Ukrainian Red Cross, the there are lots of organizations reputable organizations who work in ukraine the thing is that ukrainians are very self-reliant and they have they already have a structure to help people and so my advice would be send money don't you know but what's how, the, how would they send money what's well the best for way example do i don't know i mean without blowing my own trumpet mm-hmm. i could you know i send money to ukrainians i've been asking my friends for donations and very kindly, I've I've raised over t- well uh, nearly two and a half thousand pounds. I've lived there for years. One, I I worked closely with the British Council for a number of years. They had a lot of volunteer projects. One of my friends, a Ukrainian guy in London, he set me up with a Revolut account, which means I can transfer money directly to people with no transfer card charges directly mm-hmm. to their debit card of their organisation. Ukrainians don't really need foreign volunteers. They need money. The shop, they, they can buy things in the shop. You can go to the shop and buy huge bags of dog food or buy first aid kits. Mm-hmm. There, 
are many, many Ukrainians I know there, for example, buying whatever you need to make body armor and then making their own body armor to give to paramedics, for example. You know, mm. that's part of Ukrainian culture. They just need the resources to be able to do this. You know? Who, where do they go? Do they go online? Do they ring a phone number? How do they... Well, I mean, way? I can give you my Revolut accounts and yeah. put it on your website if you like. Yeah. And any any money that I get, I will, I will send to good people that I personally know in Ukraine, whether it can be animals, it can be helping with old people, or it can be helping refugees in the, in the West, whatever. I, I know multiple people. And... I also know people who I trust to give it to directly to the people who mm -hmm. need it now. So for, so, for example, a girl I know who rescues dogs and cats. You know, uh, there's a, there's a, a dog shelter called Sirius in, in the north of Kiev, which is in a very dangerous area at the moment. They have three thousand dogs in shelters in that in that animal shelter. Those dogs are not going to wait. You know, well, however much time it takes to drive a truck from, I don't know, let's say the Isle of Man to mm. uh, central Ukraine. I mean, it, like I say, it took my wife three days to drive yeah. from Kiev to the West. What they need now is money so yeah. that they can go to the shop and buy some dog food. And they're doing that. Ukrainians are doing that. But Ukrainians, you know, they're living in their own kind of language bubble. So the requests are a lot, the most of the money that I transfer is to people who are not who are not uh, making appeals in English. They're making appeals in either Russian or Ukrainian that I read and I know, I know and I trust them. It's not necessarily large international um, organizations because, uh, you know, I haven't seen that much evidence that they, they work there. Yeah, there's a lot of good people trying to do good mm -hmm. things in Ukraine. Okay. We'll wrap this up then. When are you going to see your wife again? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, she wrote to me today. <laughs> I'm not sure because when I go out there, I'm just an extra mouth to feed and I don't, it's difficult for me to work. I don't have any source of income. I'm just like a, living off her, her family's kindness. And yet she can't leave her kids behind. She won't leave her kids. And, you know, a lot of Ukrainians won't leave Ukraine, especially now. You know, to be honest, one I think it's a kind of very common thing amongst refugees, the guilt you feel on leaving. You know, I... You know, I feel incredibly guilty for, for leaving Ukraine at this time. You know, I didn't leave in 2014 and now I'm not there. I'm living in Onken in a comfortable big house and I feel guilty, to be honest.